If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. James chapter 5. Uh, James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just raise your hand and we will gladly uh, run one to you. Uh, we are, uh, it's been 11 weeks, uh, but we have arrived in the final set of verses uh, in our journey through the letter of James. And uh, next week, uh, let me just give you a heads up. Uh, next week we're going to have a, we do this every year, we do an all-family gathering uh, where we take communion together as a church. We'll be doing that next Sunday. Uh, then we're going to spend a couple weeks in December preparing our hearts for Christmas uh, while traveling through Ephesians 2 together. And that's going to take us to the new year where uh, we're going to spend about two months talking about uh, the topic of forgiveness, uh, walking through it in a uh, biblical way and saying, basically, there's no way for us to uh, have uh, hearts of unforgiveness if we've been forgiven by God. Uh, and then that's going to take us into First uh, John, which will be our next book study. And then before we know it, it'll be the summer. Uh, and so now you now you know. And so if you're like, well, none of that stuff sounds good. Uh, maybe I'll just find another church. You won't. And so just show up, put up with it. All right. Uh, and so uh, what, what I pray, though, is uh, that, that this letter that we've walked through together in James, that it's, it's found uh, a special place in your heart. And, and though next week we'll look at a, a different set of verses in God's Word, that uh, these past two, ten weeks uh, will, have continued, will have a continuing effect uh, as it shapes us, as we engage life with God. And uh, after all, James has been attempting to accomplish uh, in this letter, what he's been trying to do in us is, is help us grow in our faith. Uh, he, he says his audience struggles uh, with some of the things that we struggle with today. And so James comes in, he challenges them uh, to take the leap from, from just being claiming to be a, a hearer of God's Word to actually putting His Word into practice in your life, and and he was dealing with a church uh, that, that that wore the gospel like an accessory, not a garment. Uh, that uh, you could put it on and you could take it off, depending on your convenience. And James says you shouldn't be doing that with your life. He says you should constantly be aware of how the gospel is shaping you, and uh, and and to not ignore spe- very specific places. Uh, in your life. And so, so James writes to the church, and he writes to church people, I should say, and he warns them uh, that, that it's entirely possible to believe that because you're in the church, uh, that you're saved. And he says that's not it, that your faith will be growing consistently. And so, so the, his model is simply this, examine your life. Uh, he, says, he says, look at your life and see what kind of reflection you have in regards to does it does it line up with the gospel or not? And so it says, examine your life. Examine your, your motivations. Examine your re, how you react when life takes a difficult turn. Uh, examine whether you are flirting or resisting temptation. Uh, re- examine whether you find joy in obeying the Word. Examine uh, if you're playing favorites with people. Examine if you're controlling your tongue. Examine if you're pursuing peace or if you're... Uh, leaning toward conflict. Uh, examine if, if you're a friend of God or the world. Uh, examine if your treasure leads you to dependence on God. Examine if your suffering leads you to dependence on God. Examine if your plans lead you to a dependence of God. He says, examine the fruits that are coming out of your life and grow in your faith. 
no matter how large or small your faith may be in this current moment. He says we are always growing. You will never get to a place in your life where you say, you know, my faith is big enough. I'm good. No need to grow anymore. All right? And so James is consistently pressing that, that need in on us. And I, I'm, thankful, I'm thankful for the Word. Uh, and I'm thankful for James. And I'm thankful, uh, really, for, for your willingness to walk with me through these verses. Because I, I long for the fruits of merge to be examined and to be evident in this city. Uh, that when people look at us and they say, hey, I, I can look at the fruits that are coming out and I can believe that you really do believe that God is a big deal. <laughs> that, that you really do believe that Jesus is the answer. I long for that to be uh, the case. And it's, it's a powerful calling that we have, that we get to be included in this very special task of helping those who are far from God find life in Christ. Uh, we should never think that that is uh, not just the greatest thing uh, in the world, that God would allow us to do that. It's a holy calling. It shouldn't be taken lightly. And, and, and as our faith grows healthy, so does our church. Okay, I, I say this consistently. A, a church is con- just an assembly of people. right? And so, so the healthier you are spiritually, the healthier our church is. Okay. Uh, now, collectively, what happens is our health gets ma- uh, gets uh, uh, multiplied. Uh, our strength is exponentially uh, more powerful, and our reach is much farther further than when we're together. And so, so a healthy church begins with a healthy you. And so, it's it's and it's my firm conviction that the more we taste and see that God is good, especially in His Word, the more we will be able to taste and see that He is good in us through us and around us. All right? Our knowledge of that uh, begins to take place. And so, so my prayer as we approach these final uh, eight verses is that they would serve as, as a collection of verses that we apply so that God will be glorified and our city would see just how incredible He is. Uh, and so, so let's pray and then we'll, we will get into this. Father, we come to You. We thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank you that you care about us. I pray as we get to um, to have the privilege of diving into your word, we would realize just how rare that is in parts of this world. That we wouldn't just open up these pages as if we're owed something, but that we would open up these pages hungering and thirsting for you. So Father, we pray if your Holy Spirit that he would move here this morning in us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so here we go. Let's just read it. Uh, you ready to go, Bear? Uh, James chapter 5, we'll start in verse 13. He says this. James says, this is kind of the wrap-up, okay? I'm just going to tell you, he ends, uh, and it's crazy. Like, his letter just ends, and at some point, someone who had been reading this in the original, uh, the, the original letter would have been like, Is that it? Did we, did we lose a page? All right. There's like there's like no wrap up. There's no P.S. There's no like anything. It's just like he'll, he's just going to end uh, in verse 20. So he says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There we go. And the prayer of faith 
will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, someone brings, and someone brings them back, let them know that I'm done reading those verses. Uh, let him know... That whoever, Barak's like, hey, Cowboys, 12 o'clock, let's get this going. Uh, let, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right? So, so this is where James is wrapping up his letter. He knows he's coming to the end here. And, and so he walks right into our prayer lives and we are reminded of some various areas where prayer... Um, is to be included. Now, now, as we've walked through these last five chapters, you can see evidence of where uh, prayer um, is associated. Now what he does is, as I'm wrapping this up, I want to bring prayer to the center stage uh, because it's incredibly important when it comes to how our faith grows. That, that in fact, I think uh, prayer may be the most powerful and yet least utilized and underdeveloped weapon when it comes to the Christian arsenal. Uh, and, and so the privilege of prayer should draw us into awe and worship. Again, into the sense that God Almighty has invited you to speak to Him. And that He has said, when you speak to me, I will answer you. And one of my favorite verses in Je- is Jeremiah 33.3. There's a lot of things in Jeremiah, but this is, there's one very specific promise from God. He says, he says, call unto me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And the fact that God would invite us into that is astounding. Okay? The fact that He would say, hey, when life is hard, come talk to me. When life is easy, come talk to me. When you're confused, come talk to me. And yet, there are times in our lives we treat prayer as an afterthought. The, oh, things are starting to close in. I guess I need, a, I need literally a Hail Mary, right? I need God, I need you to now step into uh, the mess of, of what's going on in my life. And, and, and so, so the privilege of prayer should draw us into this awe and this worship in the sense that we are invited to speak and that, that through Jesus we've been granted access and that our prayers are not returned unheard. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we are empowered, we are refined to present prayers that can literally change the world and and so with that being said um i also think prayer can be hard right uh can can we be honest enough today to just admit that sometimes prayer can can be hard because it's in this act that um there are times we can pray selfishly we can pray weakly we can pray small we can pray very needless prayers while convincing ourselves that since we are saying things that we are fulfilling some sort of of obligation, like it could be of a ritual, uh, and it could be very religious and yet very impractical. Uh, I think if, if you have children, you, you kind of know there, there's a difference in 
um, saying words and saying something, right? Have you ever leaned over your kid and said, I don't know what you're saying. They're just words. You were just rambling, right? Uh, and, and I think very much so that at least the story of this guy, right? There are times I am just rambling with God and he's like, what, what are you saying, bro? What, what are you trying to get your heart around here? And, and so I, I think a, a weak prayer life is a reflection of a weak faith. And this is why James steps in and he talks about a few areas where prayer should be the first line. It should be the very first step when these things are happening in your lives. And, and so since we've been talking these last few weeks about dependence, uh, I think there's a principle that we can just continue attaching, right? We said that, that our, the plans that we make says something about the dependence of our lives. We've said the treasures we keep. We said the suffering uh, that we go through and where we lean towards when we are suffering says something about the dependence in our lives. And I think, in fact, this is the only talk, uh, blank I got for your talk notes. So don't put your stuff away. I might say something worth writing down a little bit later. But you could write this down, that a dependence on God should draw us toward God in prayer. Okay? And you're like, well, that seems like a really deep theological thought. It's not. That, that if you are found in Christ, if you have a restored relationship with God that should create a dependence on Him to, to operate in your life, and in that operation, your prayers should draw you towards Him. And so, now, and that's not abstract thought, that's not theoretical thought, that's practical work. How consistently we pray and what we pray for serves as an indication of our spiritual health. So, so let me be clear that the destination of prayer is, is not in the outcome of the circumstance, but rather in the proximity of where your prayers take you. If they take you to God, you're in the right spot. If your prayers take you elsewhere, you're in the wrong spot. That, that's the way it plays itself out. Prayer is the practice in pursuing the heart of God. That's what it is. When I pray, it's not as much about getting my circumstances situated as much as it is getting closer to the Father. And so, so this is why there are so many times we see promises of God's provision through prayer in the Bible. Uh, because the fame and the glory is always returned to Him. This is why we are promised His power when we pray according to His will. Now, now, now we can misuse some of these verses, and we've done so uh, in our church history. Uh, very easily can we try to sell verses uh, in ways that they're not intended to be used. Um, and we can even try to uh, take God to court when He doesn't come through on the ways that we expect Him to. Uh, but really, all this does, it shows our deficiencies. Uh, I know, I hate it when we do it too. Um, but it shows our deficiencies when it comes to our prayer lives. That, that in our prayers, God's glory is put on display through our petitions. Alright? God's glory is put on display through our, position, through our petitions. And so, so James is going to speak right into just a few circumstances, right? He just picks some circumstances of life and he says, take it, take it there in prayer. That you would, uh, he encourages us to depend on God even further. That, that he takes us at first to these, these polar ends of our lives, right? Uh, through our suffering, through our praise, right? And then he's going to come kind of, let the pendulum kind of settle and he's going to walk into our community involvement when it comes to prayer. And so, so let's, let's take each one of them uh, on their own. Bear, it says this, verse 13, he asks this question, Is anyone among you suffering? 
And then he said, well, don't pray. So if anyone among you is suffering, well, don't pray. Now, we, we spoke last week at length about suffering, so we don't really want to uh, rehash that or need to go back to that, uh, except to remember that, that where we go for relief is typically the source of our dependence. When we suffer, where we run to is the source of our dependence. Uh, and then secondly, not all suffering in our lives is the result of sin. Uh, but thirdly, all suffering finds its feet at the will of God. All of it. And so, so he doesn't waste our suffering because every facet of our lives are being used for the glory of his name. So, so what James does here, though, is helpful. Because, because we, we don't have to guess what to do when we find ourselves in painful seasons. We don't, we don't have to say, I don't know what God wants me to do. James says, take it to God. He, said, he says, you pray. He says, take it exactly to your Heavenly Father. And I think there are a few reasons why we don't want to do that uh, when we're suffering. I think, number one, uh, it's, it's our own ignorance. We don't realize we, we can take that need to God. Uh, I, I, I think there, there's reluctance especially if we feel that God is treating us unfairly. I don't want to talk to Him, right? Now imagine the audacity you have there when you're like, you know something? Just, you just do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Right? There's, there could be shame because, because we know the suffering is the result of our own sinfulness, that, that we created this mess, and so we kind of want to clean it up before your parents get home to realize that you burnt down the kitchen, right? And you're like, I'll mop the kitchen floor. Maybe they won't notice the wall. You know, it's charred. And so, so what he does is he, is he gives us something incredibly helpful. It's a gift. He, he gives permission and he gives encouragement to those who are ignorant to go to God. He creates an urgency for those who are reluctant. He urges submission to those who are arrogant. And he, he reminds those of us who feel shame to go to a God who is both compassionate and merciful. Okay, I'm not just pulling those two words out. He said it back in verse 11, remember? He's talking about the suffering of Job. That his suffering was so that the world may see that God is compassionate and merciful. And so, so prayer should not be an afterthought when we suffer. It should drive us through the pain toward the heart of God. And so, so, so that's one end. So now we're going to swing to the other end where uh, James says this. Is any one of you, um, says this, there we go. Uh, is anyone cheerful? Says, what did it say? Let them sing praise. Let them, let them sing praise. It says, if you find joy in your soul, Turn that into a prayer of praise. That's, that's a major part of worship through song. Uh, when we gather together, we don't just sing so we can warm up to sit down, right? We sing so we can be engaged with the Father through the songs of praise that we sing. We're, we're very specific around here about the types of songs that we sing corporately. We think there are a lot of great Christian songs. We do. Um, but there are some songs that don't fit in corporate settings. There are some songs that are very personal. Okay? I know. I don't know what they're doing in there, but you tell them, this is church, don't have fun today. Um, but but there, there are certain songs that we sing, and so we're very, we're very picky around here. Swan and I are very picky about the theology of our corporate worship. 
Because we want to sing songs that make much of God. And we want to sing songs that make much of what Jesus has done for us. We want to be very aware of songs that are, well, they're deceiving. They really just feed ourselves and they don't proclaim anything about the power of the gospel. And so, so James says, if there is something in your life that brings you joy, turn it into praise. That, that I think there, there are two reasons we do this. Number one, it helps foster gratitude in our lives. Again, if you're a parent, you, you can appreciate this, right? There's a different level of, of pride um, when your kids show gratitude and they, they're not working you, right? They're genuinely saying thank you for something. And you're like, tears are streaming, snot bubbles flowing. You're like, oh, they really do get it sometimes. Right? And then there's those other moments when you're like, oh, you said I love you because you found out I had $10. Right? Hey, I love you. Can I have $10? Right? We know it. We know when we're working. And I think the same principle applies to God. I think when, when we are cheerful and we take songs of praise to our Father, and it's genuine, He lights up. That He inhabits the praise of His people. And then secondly, I think praying our praises reminds us of our dependence on God for all things. That in the good, in the bad, God is responsible for them both. Okay? So, 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 so apart from Him, we are on this cons- constant search for peace and joy and fulfillment that is only satisfied and fulfilled when we confess our sins and we ask Jesus to be both our Lord and and our Savior, and we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. That that those are the things. And so, so when we when we sing praise, we remind ourselves that God has given us all these good blessings, all these incredible blessings that you don't even deserve. No matter how great you are, you don't deserve it. <laughs> That's a good reminder. So he says, if is anyone cheerful, sing about it. And then he starts in verse fourteen, and James. James stops swinging and we kind of draw, he draws us into the community aspects of our prayer lives. And now this is something you need to be aware of. That there is very much a personal aspect to your prayer life and then there is very much a, a community aspect to your prayer life. Okay? So he says this, Is anyone among you sick? He says, Let him call the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him in, with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, uh, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So there is some sickness that is due to sinfulness. Okay? Not just the, the spiritual, um, because of the fallenness of man, you're dying kind of stuff, but, but there are some sins that we create that make us sick. Okay? So he says, he says bring those to the elders of the church. And we believe in this office, and we don't get to do this uh, as much as we would like to. Uh, mainly because you guys don't show up enough about it. He says you bring you, you come before the elders of the church and you let them pray over you. This is one of our privileges and responsibilities here at the church. And, and I think at the same time, though, we need to be very careful about these verses because these specific verses can be misused, misunderstood in, in very dangerous ways because James is not teaching that all illnesses are healed in the ways we expect them to be healed. Okay? So we can take our hands off of that steering wheel just for a little bit. Um, that, and I think, I think one of the reasons I believe these verses are so misunderstood is because uh, we treat prayers 
as demands, uh, as if we have the best and the healthiest perspective on what healing looks like. Okay? You ever, again, you're a parent. You ever have a kid come and tell you what you should be doing? Right? And you're like, you're six. The scope, the scope of your life is so very limited. Okay? And at six, the scope of your life is very selfish. And so I think the same principle applies when we come to God in prayer and we say, God, it needs to be done at this time in this way. Okay? This time, this way. And what we usually do, this usually, uh, this kind of prayer of healing is, it's the elimination of the sickness uh, when I, I think we forget that our ultimate healing comes in our death. Now, not to get too morbid, right? I already did that last week. Um, but but the, the, the prayers of faith will always start and end and be compelled by our Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father, before I say another word, we want this to be about you. Not, not all sickness is healed in the same way or with the same expectations. Uh, I, I've seen this verse sold to people before, and when it doesn't come out, uh, usually somebody like me will look at a person like you and say, well, you just didn't have enough faith, clearly. And, and that's, that's not it. My, my contention is that the promise of the Lord raising us up comes in various forms. Uh, and if our sickness leads to death, if you are found in Christ, you have found an ultimate healing. You have. You have. There, there are worse things in the believer's life than dying. Okay? There, there are. There are worse things in your life uh, as a believer than, than dying. And this isn't to say that we ignore the instruction to pray for the sick, uh, to pray for healing and the role of the elders to pray for healing. Uh, it's just, in fact, it's one of our most important offices around here. Uh, we want to pray over you. Uh, we want to pray for you as we depend on God to put His work, His glory on display uh, in our lives. Okay? So, so when it comes to your faith, understand that it's not, it's not about the ritual. It's about your proximity to the Father. I have found that the more I pray and as the more I grow in my faith, that my prayers become refined the closer I get to God. The, the more I am aware of His design, the more I'm aware of His movement in my life, those prayers refine and they change. And so, so James in 16, he's going to take our prayer uh, practice into our confession for sins and our involvement in community. And so he says it this way, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Okay, so who's first? No, nobody? Okay, that's awkward, right? Somebody's like, ah, oh, this isn't going to go well. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And I think oftentimes confession and community is necessary before healing can begin, both, both relationally and physically. Uh, because if, if one thing we know about sin is that it not only will it draw you away from God, but it will draw you away from gospel-centered community. It will. Your temptation will be to move away. And, and we try to reason with ourselves in those moments. Well, if I, if I told them, if they knew this about me, then they wouldn't accept me. If they knew this about me, they wouldn't look at me the same way. If they, if they knew that I was going through this, 
there would be no possible way that they would invite me to their houses anymore. Right? And what, what's dangerous about that is, is though that is a possibility, right? Uh, though anytime you risk your heart for some, for, with someone, there's the risk of it being wounded. But rarely in those moments will we consider, maybe if I do this in a biblical way and I share this, I confess my sins to them, maybe both of us can grow stronger together in the Lord. Maybe, because it's entirely possible, rarely, but we rarely think of it this way. Because our shame will say, I need to isolate from this group, when the gospel says, no, 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 you need, in your struggle, in your sinfulness, you need gospel-centered community. Because it's those kind of people that gather around you, fight with you, fight alongside you, cover you, because everybody deserves a soft place to land when life gets hard. Everybody. And so as you say, well, okay, I, I understand him saying I should confess my sins to one another, I just don't think James knew what he was talking about when he came to my life. He did. He did. And the draw of isolation will draw you away from community, and that's a dangerous place to be. And so, so hear me when I say this. You need Christ-centered people around you if you long to be a Christ-centered person. You do. We, we confess our sins to one another, and we pray for one another so we can pursue God Together, And I'm grateful for people in my life that I can share those struggles and those temptations with who go to God on my behalf, who help me stand firm in my identity in Christ. That's where grace and compassion and forgiveness just, just runs amok in our relationships. And I love it. And, and I wonder if, if our struggle with prayer, maybe entirely, comes with a misunderstanding of the last half of verse 16. Because he says this, he says that James connects the power found in prayer with the righteousness of the person. Okay, so, so, so we struggle because we don't see ourselves in the light as a righteous person. We, we think of righteousness as something we, we level up in if and when our faith grows. And, and now, it's a dangerous, it's a very false thinking, by the way, uh, because there is nothing you can do to be considered righteous apart from Christ. There's nothing. So, so in that moment when Christ becomes your Savior and your Lord, God declares you righteous. Because Jesus is righteous. Okay, God declares you righteous. You have a right standing with Him because of Jesus. So this gives you access to His provision, uh, and through the Holy Spirit, you're granted access to the power. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the gift that you get in your salvation. So, so for some, we need to take some steps in understanding when you think you are less than, God is speaking through His love over you that He has adopted you, He has brought you in, He has made you complete. Your prayers are powerful because God is powerful. Okay? So then we get a case study. We talked about Elijah. Verse 17, Elijah was a man... Uh, okay, if you like to underline and circle in your Bible, here's, here's some words. With a nature like ours, okay? With a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years, six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And you know what that scene was about? Not about Elijah, but about God. Not about Elijah. In fact, you can go, spend some time this week, 1 Kings chapter 17, chapter 18, and, and you will be directed to the glory of God. But what I want to do, I want to direct your attention before we move to verse 19 to how James 
describes Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I love that. He's like, this was just some dude. This was just some dude that the same source of power Elijah used in prayer to hold the reins off for three years, six months, is the same that's available to you today. And I'm, I'm left wondering if the lack of miracles we see today is a result of an identity crisis in the believer's lives. That, that we don't pray knowing the power of God like Elijah, not take into account that Elijah was some guy that God chose to use for the purpose of His glory. That, that we should be. We, we should be people who pray incredibly audacious prayers. We should. If, if the hardest, if the most difficult thing we prayed about in our prayer circles when we say, hey, does anybody have a prayer request? Is, hey, I have a really challenging uh, meeting I'm having next Friday. We're not praying big enough. We should be praying audacious prayers. We should, we should pray that God would use us to break through this city for the gospel. We should pray that God would move mightily in our generation. We should pray that God would provide a way to cure things like, like hunger and homelessness and oppression. And we would be the people that get to be the hands and feet of that. Right? We should pray. We should spend our time not praying small prayers that we can fix on ourselves if it's some effort, but we should throw the gauntlet down and we should plead with God to send revival in our hearts. That's what we need the most. So, so we pray. This is what he's been saying. We pray in our suffering. We pray in our praise. We pray in our sickness. We pray in our confession. And, and then 19 seems to be a separated thought, but I don't, I don't think it is. I honestly think this is part of James's wrap-up. He doesn't give us an in-conclusion, but I think what he does is he's, he's kind of bringing these things together. Remember, he's been talking about the dangers of Christians walking in deception, uh, and now he gives two verses on, on how we help people come into the light of the gospel. And he says this. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's community. That's people walking in community, knowing each, here's the thing, knowing each other well enough to know when we're wondering. Okay? Again, I, I say this all the time. This is, this is the deception or the illusion of a Sunday morning. That you're sitting in a group of people and you, we are united, but do we really know each other? Do you know the person sitting across from you more than you know uh, just the person that you were standing in line with at Walmart? That, that's, that's what this could very much be. We could all be waiting in a line at Walmart. And so that's the, that's the illusion of community. You know, you have to, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. There's a lot of risk both ways. There's a lot of effort both ways. There's you risking to get to know people here. There's people being willing to be nice enough to get to know you, right? And then you to put up with them. That's the way it works. And so, so we ask ourselves in these moments when we get to verses like 19 and 20 and we say, okay, so what's my attitude toward the wondering brother? What's my attitude toward them? Do I, do I criticize and gossip or do I seek to restore them in love? And, and this pursuit of seeking to restore does not happen without my practice of prayer. 
Because you, you go to God and He opens your eyes to the wanderer. He burdens you to play a role in bringing them back. This is the posture of merge. The posture of merge surrounds restoration, not condemnation. Okay? That's what it is. We are much more about restoration than we are condemnation. Meaning, as jacked up as some of us are, we seek restoration together. We hold each other accountable in love. And we say, hey, we want to grow together in God. We want to pursue God together. And so, so our prayer lives together makes a big difference. Prayer serves the sufferer, the cheerful, the sick, the sinner, the community. But the greatest part of prayer is that it draws us towards the heart of God as, as His pursuit for His glory is put on display. And so, so the prayers in the various circumstances draws us to God and each other. And we can't ignore the community aspect of our prayer lives. And let me just say, that's, that's a hard thing to gauge. Right? Like, I get, I get, this is just honest, and I'm about to wrap this up. Um, from, in fact, we can start wrapping this up. Um, but but I, I wonder about us sometimes. Uh, because, like, like, we offer avenues for prayer, right? Uh, and, and rarely does that happen. Is that a fair assessment? Troy's all, it's probably that mustache you got going on. People are like, nope, stranger danger with that guy. Um, <laughs> But, but it's hard. <laughs> Jessica's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Family picture day, right? Let's get it done. Um, but, but, but I wonder sometimes about, well, nobody's praying on Sundays in this specific time that I've created, you know? And God will remind me that, that that's not the only avenue that we have for community around here. And, and I mention that to say... We, we believe in prayer on Sunday mornings, but, but we believe more in the prayer of community. When you have people around here that you can lean on and say, hey, go into the doctor on Monday. Hey, this is going on right now. Hey, I have a co-worker who's far from God, and I'm praying that God would open his heart. Will you, will you join with me in prayer? That our prayers together draws us into greater community. And we're done with James. We're done with these verses. But we're not done with, with what James has been teaching us in these verses, right? He says, ironically enough, when you look at the book, it's, it takes you to some pretty hard places that we would much rather avoid We'd rather say, hey, you know, I don't want to consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kinds. I don't because I want to wallow and I want to fight and I want to complain and I just want to ignore those places. I, I, I don't want to deal with the fact that I'm not all wise and all knowing in my life. I don't want to take that to God. I, I don't want to deal with the fact that, that there are times in my life when I look at people and I place more value on them because I see them and what they wear, and I say, you are more valuable than the person who doesn't have those things. I, I don't want to deal with where I take my dependence. I'm, I'm fine. I'm comfortable. Life is good. And James says you need to consistently be aware of these steps because, because you can walk what looks like a Christian life and end up in a completely different spot. And when life changes in those moments, what happens is you say, where is God? And He says, you haven't been walking with Me. 
You've created a castle for yourself. And it looks very religious. Got stained glass windows, but it is very far from the adventures that we have here. So I love James. And I love that he doesn't care about our comfort. And I love that he doesn't care about our entertainment. But I do know this, he loves God. And he wants us to love God too. And so we pray and we serve and we walk because we know this story isn't about us. We know it's about Him. We know it's about God making His name known. Alright. You have like 17 minutes to get home. So here's where we're going to end up. Alright? Right, right. Yeah. You ready to go? Our desire this week is to love God by loving people. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Uh, we do. We want to pray big, audacious prayers with you. We want to pray over you. We wrap up today. We're going to give you that opportunity. And now, uh, I didn't. I didn't say that rant earlier to make sure, like all of a sudden, there's like 50 people lined up. That's not the. It's not my intention. But those things are available. Uh, we'll have the Hansons and, and Keith. Uh, if in case you didn't want to go to the mustache guy, Keith, he's got that thing, but it's cool. It looks cool on you, creepy on this guy. Um, if you never asked Jesus into your heart, today's, gosh, I encourage you today to let that be your day. Maybe maybe you ask Him in your heart at another stage of your life and you've been very far and distant from Him. I want you to know that, that He longs for you to come back. He welcomes you. And we want to walk alongside you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your invitation for us to cry out to you. We pray that you would make us more and more a people of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.